Hi, everyone. This is Lauren, and you're listening to I Testify Conversation Station. Today's topic, marriage. What's the point? it goes as follows. True love is not a strong, fiery, impetuous passion. It is, on the contrary, an element, calm and deep. It looks beyond mere externals and is attracted by qualities alone. It is wise and discriminating, and its devotion is real and abiding. By Ellen G. White. Hello, everybody. Welcome. I'm so glad you've chosen to tune into this week's episode. So before we get started, I'm just going to uh, open the floor to our guest for today, whose name is Andrew Barrett. Hi, Andrew. How are you? How are you doing? How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. Happy to be here on this uh, podcast. Awesome. Thank you. So before we go in, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself, what you're studying? Yeah. Um, my name is Andrew. I'm on the other end of, on the other half of 25. Um, not 30 yet, by God's grace, um, but close to it. I'm studying nursing at Ryerson University in Toronto. Um, and yeah, I have a little devotional IG page where I put, put out just content that I believe is meaningful. And yeah, I just try to make myself available to engage in discussions like this and really just work for God in whatever way that I can. That's awesome. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here today. So we're going to kind of dive in. We're going to start by talking about the idea of modern relationships. So in this time and age, marriage is something that I think a lot of people in this kind of their 20s now, even going into their 30s, they're not thinking about marriage and they're kind of skipping some steps that traditionally 10, 20, 15 years ago were very normal and it was a part of society. So we're going to kind of open the floor talking about why are people choosing to now live together without getting married? So according to a survey uh, done by uh, the Research Pew Society, essentially a majority of Americans are okay with cohabitating. So this means living together with your boyfriend or your girlfriend without being married. And this even uh, people who are choosing to do this even don't have the intention of ever getting married, a lot of them said. So Andrew, why do you think people are choosing to do this? You know, I think that in one sense, it's just a matter of convenience. You know, I think that um, convenience and just in terms of like finances or economics, like let's say you're seeing someone that lives in another province or state or something like that. Um, there's going to be that, that investment to go see them, whether you got to take a plane, whether you got to drive. And there's also the investment of time, you know? And so I just think that if you know that you like somebody, you guys are dating for a little bit, it's like, well, why not just move in together and save resources kind of a thing you know and of course you know if you're intimate with each other um then there's that added convenience as well you know like i don't have to go somewhere and worry about okay am i sleeping over coming back home it's just like now nah, we live together it's timely we can be intimate when we want that sort of a thing i think that's kind of like really the the main practical reason why and then i also think too that like people like if people want to feel like you know i really like this person and like i want to be with this person long term and it's kind of just like, well, this is my version of marrying you. Like, let me just, let's just move in kind of a thing. Like, that's the huge step that they take kind of thing, apart from having children. 
Right. And I've even, you know, I think the financial aspect of it is a huge part, especially for those who live in big cities. I, they think that, well, you know, rent is super expensive and I don't want to uh, put that burden on myself. So I'm with someone, I might as well just move in together so we can uh, have that financial burden kind of between the two of us. Right, right, right. So I think that's, I think that is definitely a major factor. But what's interesting is that even though a lot of people are moving in together, according to the same survey, it still says that those who are married showed much more satisfaction in their life together while because they were married than those who were just living together in what's kind of called a common law situation. So like you mentioned, a big aspect of it might also be the fact that they're intimate together in the whole who's going to sleep at whose house, how is this going to work? So we're skipping the idea of getting married. We're just moving in together. So you're probably sharing the same bed. You're probably in the same bedroom. So you're also probably having sex. So with this idea, is is it okay? Is, is it okay to be having sex outside of marriage? Is that normalized now? Just to comment on the cohabitating thing, there's actually a lot more research. Like in my psychology class last year, there's actually um, research that shows, and the research is kind of conflicting. Like some studies show this, some studies show that, but really the majority of research shows that living together before marriage actually has negative implications for your actual marriage. And it actually is worse for what was called serial cohabitators. And so if I, if it's my tendency to always live with people that I'm in a relationship with, then the odds of me having a bad, a worse marriage increase, if that makes sense, you know, but yeah, anyways, to get to the, to the question of is sex um, in a relationship that's not marriage or sex before marriage. Okay. I honestly think that it depends on if you're a Christian or if you're not a Christian, you know, if you're not a Christian, um, I don't expect people who are not Christians to live their lives like they are Christian. So I'm going to kind of move away from the obvious, hey, I'm a Christian, the Bible says don't commit adultery, it's wrong, and kind of speak more to the, hey, I'm not a Christian, is it okay if I engage in sexual activity with my significant other, you know? And here's what I really think. I think that it's, it's, it's not about it being good or bad or okay or not okay, but it's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Now, when you are intimate with someone, like your body releases hormones, your body releases endorphins, all these chemicals, these neurochemicals that are known throughout the scientific literature, you know? And when you, when your body releases these things, you build a lasting connection with someone. You know, if you want to take it from this angle in sort of popular academia, scientists say, you know, we've evolved billions and billions of years, right? And so we have these primal instincts. Now, if we have these truly primal instincts, then really you don't see a dog wanting to be faithful to any one animal. There's like literally probably 1% of animals have only one partner, you know, whereas other animals, humans are an animal to popular science. This is kind of made with whoever because it increases their chances of reproducing. But in humans, we find something different. We find that when a man builds this lasting connection, connection with someone and he's intimate with a person, his body releases, especially in large amounts, oxytocin. And because this man has or relates this woman with those chemicals, when he sees her, even amidst other women, he naturally is more attracted to her. And I just think that when, when you have those with many different people before a committed relationship, you really get into like scarring your heart in ways that you really don't have to. You know, and yeah, it's kind of what I think. But in terms of just like, is it right or wrong? I think that if you're not a Christian, I would more, more so say it's dangerous and unnecessary. You know, we live in a culture that 
emphasizes sex and intimacy in that way. And we forget about the intimacy that you can have apart from sex, you know? And this is why a lot of men, if you just give them sex, maybe they're not good listeners. Well, you've been giving him sex. He doesn't have to be a good listener. You know what I mean? Um, they're not good. They don't really understand where you're coming from. And I really think that men need to, I think the best advice given to me regarding marriage was, hey, choose a woman that you could want to be with even if you weren't allowed to have sex with her. Hmm. And when I, when I thought about that, it's like I looked for something so, more deep in, in females. You know, I looked for a friend. Right. I think when the woman doesn't give that sex until there's a committed official marriage, she forces the man to become a friend in her. And I think that that would lead to a more lasting relationship. Yeah, and I, yeah I'm really glad you brought up that last part because a lot of people, I think, will say that, well, if I'm not having sex, this is basically just my friend. Like, are we even in a relationship? But I think that's an important part to bring up because there's a reason, and we'll get into that kind of in the next section, why intimacy like you were saying in the beginning, like there, there are certain hormones that get released. It's a ser- it's a serious thing. It's something that's supposed to be between two people that are thinking are going to be together kind of for the rest of their lives. And so in the beginning of your relationships for marriage, you know, you, you should just really be getting to know each other and be in- intimate at that friendship level, being able to just know what your other, what your partner wants, know their loves, their interests, their likes, their dislike, getting together on that intimate level before entering kind of that more serious intimate level. So I'm glad you did bring that up. Um, and so people are choosing to live together. They're having sex um, outside of marriage uh, while living together. And then um, after sex, there's something that also could happen, which are children. So what do we think about the idea of you're living together, you've skipped marriage, you're having sex, and now you have brought a children kind of into um, the discussion. Is this, is this something that, like you said, like as Christians, we'll, a lot will probably say, no, this isn't okay. But from the world's perspective, is this something that is healthy and okay for this family unit now? I think honestly, um, once again, if you're a Christian, like that's not okay. Now, if you've made mistakes, I believe that God offers grace and we can always rebuild, you know? Now for the person that's not a Christian, here's the thing. Children are associated with intimate relationships, of course. If you're not in a contractual official agreement, a lot of times we like to sort of, you know, dumb down marriage today in today's society. Like, oh, it's not that serious, you know? But really... It's not that marriage is like this traditional Bible thing only. Like marriage is a time where you invite your loved ones, where you invite people to, you know, come eat with you and really celebrate in this official launching of two people starting their lives together. And I think whether you're a Christian or not, that's a meaningful thing. And so because people associate marriage with, you know, traditional religious views, it's like they miss out on the joys of before people like you're signing a contract and saying to the world, hey, this is my person. You know what I mean? And there's an official ceremony and that's not a bad thing. You know what I mean? Whether it's traditional religious or not. But anyways, when we take that apart from the, the intimate partner relationship sphere, it's, it's easy to just jump in and jump out. It's easy to just, okay, we're together, we're not together, you know? And when we couple that with the statistics around just the fact that when people are together before they're married and get married, they're more likely to break up. When we couple that with that, it's like, well, what if you have children and then you break up? Mm-hmm. You know, what if you have children and you break up? What if, what if you have children and it just doesn't work out and then you have children with another person? I actually was doing some research with a professor of mine. We submitted a, 
a paper to the Journal of Black Psychology. And I really, really researched this a lot. And it was crazy to see that something that the research calls multi-partner fertility. So mm-hmm. these types of ideas and fragile families, these types of ideas are if you have children with more than one person, um, or you have stepper blended families, right? Um, these things are very, very, very um, bad for the child. You know, statistics show that children in these sorts of a fragile families, these blended families, you know, that are associated with multi-partner fertility and the like, um, these children are more likely to, you know, um, increase, have increased rates of incarceration. They're more likely to use drugs and engage in risky behavior, you know, and it's crazy because that effect is worse when the breakup happens the older the child is. And so if you're zero and your parents break up, it might not be as bad, but if you're six or seven and your parents break up, it is very bad for the child intellectually. Like they don't do as well statistically. And of course there might be exceptions, right? But statistics apply to populations, not individuals. And the statistics show that if parents break up, if families break up and they're blended and there's step and there's this and I have a step parent, a stepmom, stepdad, stepbrothers, stepsisters, new cousins, like it really wreaks havoc on the mental health of children. I, and I personally think it's really selfish. Um, but then again, it's just like, man, sometimes people can't control it. You know, so I really think that people just kind of be careful. Again, I say it's very dangerous, man. It's very dangerous. And really, I don't want to like keep babbling on, but I'm a product of those types of families, you know? Mm-hmm. And I see like in my, and I don't want to kind of like put my family on blast, but I see the toll it has taken on everyone. You know, my parents that are, were engaged in the types of relationships and all of the children, you know? And it's just really not something that any party really wants, but the, the, the thing about relationships and marriage is that we often trade what we want most for what we want right now. And I really think that we have to modify that, you know. Um, we really want lasting friendships and relationships with those that we love. And the more fragmented the family gets, the easier it is to break up, you know. And so, yeah, hopefully that, that made sense. I don't know if I, if I touched on it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. That was and thank you for sharing at the end that personal story. I really appreciate that the uh, vulnerability. Um, So kind of what I'm getting is that there is there's some negative um, concepts that are coming out of this skipping the marriage part of a relationship. So to kind of dive into, well, what is marriage? Where did it come from? What, is it made up? Did man make it? Is it, a, is it something that just happened or has it always been? So let's kind of, let's go back in history. Can you, guys, can you just tell us about when was the first marriage? Perfect question. Um, I think the first marriage, not that I think I know, the first marriage was right there in Genesis with Adam and Eve, you know, and you don't see a traditional Adam in a suit, even a long white dress, them in a, you know, in a church or a temple of some sorts. You just see them in a garden and God brings them and they're married and they consummate the marriage before God, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that's when the first marriage in the Bible was. Right. And why, why did God create this idea? Because he could have just created man and woman and let them go about their business, but he deliberately created a union between these two people. So, so why, why did he do that? So I think it's, um, you mentioned Ellen White earlier in a quote from her, and, and there's also a quote, I think, in that very same chapter that you read that said that, that Adam, he was by himself in Eden, and he had the companionship of angels and of God, 
but there was none specifically of the same nature to love and be loved. Mm -hmm. And so it's powerful that even the companionship of angels and of God was amazing and perfect, but it wasn't as fulfilling as if Adam had someone of the same nature to love and be loved. And so God creates Eve, and now they can enter into this type of a union that Adam essentially couldn't enter into with angels, you know? And it's not a matter of, oh, it was better or worse. It's just, hey, this person, as Adam says, is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And I really think that as we traverse life, it's like you can identify with someone a lot more when they're more similar to you. And I think that the crux of that is, man, Jesus came to this earth to be like us. And now I can relate to my God better than maybe if I was in another religion, because I know and I believe that my God became like me. You see what I'm saying? So I think it's the same with marriage. You know, when you're one with a person that is like you, um, the same nature of you, it's easier to understand and easier to maybe even experience the blessings of life with, you know? Yeah. No, thank you. And so it kind of seems like God was delivered in this. He he put Adam there in the garden kind of by himself at first. And he told him, you know, this is your dominion. Go name these animals. And so Adam had that time by himself to see and he kind of all of a sudden was seeing like hey all these animals seem to be in pairs and I'm starting to feel a little like where's where's my other half right mm-hmm. so it's it's interesting so God God he wanted to do that on purpose almost to Adam to say like listen I'm gonna I'm gonna now put you to sleep and, and there's gonna be someone who's there for you someone who's gonna be your partner and you guys are gonna live together in just like perfect harmony and that's what that idea of that perfect marriage was represented in that garden. Let me actually put, say yeah. another thing real quick, Lauren. So the Bible says that man was created in God's image, mm-hmm. right? Now, the image of God is actually a very interesting thing because God, while I believe God is one individual, I believe that God the Father is God, but I also believe that Jesus possesses divine um, divinity inside himself. And so as a result, he is God as well. I also believe that the spirit of God, who the Bible doesn't really say much on, I also believe that the spirit of God is also a person as well and is as much in his essence divine and God as well. And I believe that the image of God is this perfect union between the father, the son, and God's spirit, you know, and they live in this selfless, you know, um, um, perfect harmony and unity. You know, whereas, you know, if God does something, the mind of Christ and what Christ would do would have done the very same thing. There's just perfect harmony and unity, you know, and it's crazy because love is selflessness. Love is seeking others first. That's First mm-hmm. Corinthians 13, right? Love doesn't seek its own. If it doesn't seek its own, it seeks something else, right? And so if God is love, First John 4, 8, I believe, then God must be a selfless individual. And really for God to be selfless, he must demonstrate that he is more concerned with others even more than himself. And I think it's amazing that God, the Father, Christ, and the Spirit have this perfectly selfless relationship. And that's what I believe is the image of God. Now, when God creates Adam, he's kind of just by himself. And I don't think that Adam by himself living in and to himself is really the perfect um, image of God. But I think that when Adam and Eve are created, the Bible says that God created them essentially in his image. And so now together as two people, they can selflessly live, not for themselves, but for another, and thus portray the image of God. Wow. Yeah. And then 
Now, you know, sin enters the world, right? Mm -hmm. And God created this idea, this idea to, uh, like you said, kind of in his own image, uh, the Trinity, they're, they're social beings. They interact with one another. And he created man and woman to be in marriage, to be in union, and to be social, to have relationships with one another. And it was this perfect idea in the Garden of Eden. But then fast forward a little bit and sin kind of entered the scene. And are there any examples that we could think of in the Bible where marriage was uh, kind of messed up? It wasn't being done in how God originally wanted it to be. Oh, yeah, for sure. Right there in like Genesis 4 or 5. The Bible says that the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair and took unto themselves wives of all that they chose. And essentially, that was like a, those were unions that God didn't want. But eventually, we see more dismal things like you know men taking more than one wife. You know, and it's it's kind of interesting. I think that one of the the most interesting things about the Bible is that you don't see God come and say, "Yo." don't have more than one wife, you know? But in the New Testament, you see clearly that the Bible teaches, hey, a husband must be the husband of one wife. And so why didn't God tell these guys back in the day, hey, don't do this? And here's the thing that I think. I think that a lot of times we expect God to say more um, than he, he really should say. It's almost like when a parent says something once and gives one example, we're so corrupted that we want to twist that so much. You know what I mean? But But really it's like, like God gave ample evidence through Adam and Eve as the perfect sort of archetype to teach us what marriage is about. And the first times we see polygamy, like with Abraham, for example, we see how much pain it caused to the family. You know, like, like I believe that that was God speaking. Hey, he goes into his, his, his maid, Hagar, and watch what happens. Now his son that he loves, Ishmael, and Hagar have to get kicked out. Now his wife is unhappy. Like, the home is broken and divided already. And there's no way anybody can tell me that that's God's ideal. That's not God's ideal. You see David, David, Solomon with multiple wives. The consequence is always there. It breaks up homes and families. And there's no way, shape or form that I can understand who God is and his character based upon the Bible that I could believe that God was okay with this idea, you know? And so, yeah, we see all these characters in the Bible having polygamous relationships. But I definitely believe if you look closely at the text, the Bible shows that they definitely suffered consequences. And I believe those consequences was God saying, hey, this is the natural fruit of what you do. Right. And so it's interesting because you're bringing up all these great examples. And these are examples that you can find in today's society. Polygamy is still something we see, like we were talking about at the beginning, kind of broken homes. And so sometimes people talk about the Bible and they say, well, that doesn't relate to today. But these are clear examples that what was going on in the Old Testament thousands of years ago is still going on in modern society. But we're trying to make excuses to say, well, these are modern relationships now. There's there's TV shows about it. Modern Family. It's a whole TV show about what it's like to live in these different types of family homes. And, it, and it's glorified. It, it's shown as something that is, that is good, that is happy, that is positive. And it's very well done. It's very well produced. It, it makes you feel like, yes, this is all good and dandy. But it goes to show that the Bible really is something that you can still use. It's something that we should still use. And so that being said, just kind of to wrap up everything that's been spoken about since there's so many examples in the Bible, we've talked about modern relationships. We talked about where marriage came from and what the ideal for it was. Is it outdated? Is it something that we don't need to do anymore? Is it something that is unnecessary? Was God wrong? Was it only meant to be in the beginning? What do we think about this idea of marriage being outdated today? Definitely not. You know, kind of like I said before, it is immensely meaningful when 
I mean, one of the reasons why we have birthday parties and all these sort of a ceremonies is because, you know, we are by nature social creatures, you know. And I think that when we achieve some of the major achievements, the milestones of life, um, they're just better typically with people we love. You know, an introvert might not want so many people, an extrovert might want a lot of people, but whether you want a little or a lot, it's still meaningful to have those that you love around these, these sort of important milestones. And I think that with marriage, um, a formal ceremony where you can invite those you love to, you know, really show, hey, I love this person and I'm committed to living the rest of my life with them, you know? And I really think that the reason why um, marriage seems outdated is because it's failed so much. You know, like the idea of marriage is not, hey, for me and my wife to have, if I was married, if I had a wife and we have a child, this child is a perfect blend of me and her. Like, what an amazing thing, you know? We have committed to each other to be with each other and this child, you know what I mean? That's what marriage is to me. And having a simple ceremony to, you know, validate that. And, and I think that the commercialization of marriage has made it seem outdated. People are like, yo, am I really going to drop $30,000 to just call a person my wife? I have that. And then I'm going to put a financial strain on my relationship. Marriage doesn't have to be that way. You know, you can spend $5 or how much ever it costs to go to City Hall downtown and go to a park and still have an amazing marriage. You see what I'm saying? Invite your loved ones. Like, this is definitely not outdated, but the things that I think are outdated is spending excessive amounts of money, you know, inviting people that you don't even love and don't even know just because somebody wanted them invited. These things, I think, are fake. And because marriage is so unsuccessful nowadays, I think, you know, it's like over 50% of couples get divorced and I think the number is higher but I'm trying to be conservative in that statistic you know and it's crazy because that's why I think people are like well if we get married and we're going to divorce anyways and why even go through the hassle of getting married you know and here's the thing that I will say to that when Christ came on the earth life was already in existence according to what I believe in the creation account for like 4,000 years already and sin is a very disgusting thing and if it took a toll for 4,000 years especially marriage it was pretty bad at that time too. Just imagine, you know, it was, cra it was crazy. But one thing that Jesus tells us is he tells us something powerful through his first miracle. And it's crazy that his first ever miracle was at a marriage, mm -hmm. you know? And it tells me that marriages still need miracles, you know? And here's the, here's the miracle. Jesus creates, you know, he's at a party and they, they tell him, hey, you know, Christ, we ran out of grape juice, you know? And they're like, oh, can you make more? And Christ is like... All right, let me make some more, you know? Um, and he makes more grape juice. And essentially, the, the, there's this dignified person at the party, and he tastes the grape juice. And back in the day, grape juice, they didn't really have proper ways of storing it, right? They couldn't freeze it or put it in the fridge. And so because of that, it could ferment a little bit quicker, you know? And if it would ferment, then it was called like old wine, or it, would, it could get you drunk. It doesn't taste as good. I think anybody that has tasted wine versus grape juice knows that taste alone, like, Grape juice is more amazing, you know? And so when the wine spoils, it's like, it's not necessarily the best thing to put out in the, in the party. Anyways, the master comes or this distinguished person comes and he tastes the wine. And he's like, wow, usually people put out the spoiled wine first or the bad wine first. But this guy, he kept the good wine till the last. And here's how that relates to marriage. The master said, usually people put out, um, you know, what's best first. And then they put what's spoiled out last. And I think in marriage, it works kind of the same way. Oftentimes, we put our best foot forward. You know, we put our best self out. 
And then after time goes on, we stop hitting the gym, we stop going to the barber, to the hairdresser, and all of a sudden we give subpar versions of ourselves to our partners. Mm-hmm. We put out that best wine first, but then over time, the wine gets stale. Jesus' miracle, though, allows us to put out the best wine first, but then he gives us the miracle of the marriage and allows us to keep that best wine. And so my encouragement would be, hey, marriage is not outdated. What you need is the miracle of Jesus in keeping your marriage fresh, as fresh as it was when it started. Hopefully it started off well. You know, and I really think that with the miracle of Christ, I mean, it wasn't his first miracle, miracle for no reason. I believe that that's significant. You know, the family is the most important thing in the Bible, the family unit, you know. Um, Yeah, and I believe that with that miracle, that marriage can get back to what God really designed for it to be. Sorry, I know I talk a lot, but yeah, it's an amazing topic. And thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thank you so much for being here. And thank you. That was a great note to end it on, on the first miracle and where it was. Thank you so much, Andrew. Again, thank you for being here. Thank you for agreeing for uh, talking on this topic. You've brought so much wisdom. So I'm so glad you're able to be here. Uh, everyone, don't forget to comment, like, and subscribe. And we'll see you next time for the next video. Bye.